0: Here's your warm-up question. Make sure your brain juices are flowing. You've had enough coffee. Uh, what's the least epic thing about the Christmas story? The least epic thing. The past few weeks, I've asked you a question like, you know, what, what's your favorite thing about Christmas? What's your least favorite thing about Christmas? Uh, the Christmas story has some epic things in it. You know, there are like angels involved. Uh, There's like fulfilled prophecies. We've talked about some of them, like 700-year-old prophecies fulfilled and whatnot. What's the least epic thing about Christmas? Think about it. I'll give you eight seconds to be brilliant. All right. Least epic thing about Christmas. What do you got? Mike? Mike? It wasn't out of the ordinary. Now, you know, virgin birth savior of the world, kind of extraordinary. What do you mean? But no one else knew that. So it was deceptively secret. It it flew under the radar, so to speak. All they knew was this young couple who by that time were married. Young couple, married, Paying paying their taxes. Seemed deceptively ordinary. All right, I get your point. What else? Least epic thing about Christmas. Mint. The animals, were the animals were unbothered. As far as we know. All right, what else? Oh, I can tell. We're just not very with it this morning. We're going to have to do more crowd engagement exercises. Aren't we? Least epic thing about Christmas. Christmas. Least epic thing about your Christmas? (laughs) Traffic. Traffic. Fighting through the Christmas crowds. Um, Missing the concert because we got Uh, T-ball. Yeah, she missed the concert because she got in a traffic accident on the way to the concert. And that is not Christmassy at all. There's like nothing Christmassy about that. That's interesting. Yeah. Least Christmassy thing about Christmas. One more. Who's got the best answer? Come on. You got to work on Christmas Eve. You got to you confront your manager again. <laughs> I'm pretty sure this isn't working out for you. It's uh, part of the charm of Christmas, though, when you think about it. Um, in the Christmas story, as Mike pointed out there at the beginning, there were all these elements that seemed ordinary. I, I would say, uh, I wouldn't necessarily use the word ordinary. I would use you know, other words like, like uh, bothersome or aggravating or you know, maybe mundane. Do uh, you ever feel like your life is mostly meaningless friction? Anybody? And there's a lot about the Christmas story that seems to me as if uh, it is uh, meaningless friction, aggravating uh, details that did not need to be there but which we now kind of cherish as vital parts of the story. It's really weird. It's got that quality uh, to it. So uh, let, me, let me ask you this just to kind of get you, uh, believe it or not, into the spirit of the Christmas story. I'm going I'm to ask you to do uh, a little meditative question. You can bring out your phones. You can bring out something to write on if you want to because I want you to write down some answers. I want you to actually think about this. You are going to actually think about it. All right, here you go. What are three things in your life, what are three things that you've been complaining about for at least a year? Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. What are three things you've been complaining about for at least a year? For some reason, laughter is breaking out all over the room. Three things you've been complaining about. Is you? you? She's been complaining about you for over a year. Yeah? Allergies. Allergies. Now you answer. Just write it down, buddy. I want everybody to have a list of three things. We'll share some of them in a second. Allergies, yeah. Three things you've been complaining about for at least a year. Is this an easy question? Hard question. Disturbingly easy. Disturbingly easy question. All right, now now share with me. What are, what are the three things you've been complaining about? Butler's complaining about allergies for over a year. What else we got? Yeah, Andrew. Money. Money. Yeah, OK. That's kind of that's a common one. What else? Politics. Politics. Sure. What else? Boss. Your boss. Sure. Yes. Tantrums. Yeah, <laughs> says the, the mother of three little ones. Yeah. Yeah, what else? Yeah, Ashton. People who what? People who hang out in the passing lane, but they're not even going the speed limit. You're kind of stuck on traffic this morning, aren't you, Ashton? Let just, let's get some prayer ministry afterwards. <laughs> like, yeah, traffic. All right, one more. You've been complaining about it for over a year. Not enough time. That's another universal one. Yeah, money, politics, time, traffic. Uh, We've got uh, some relatable ones. Uh, Some of these things, um, and I don't know what was on your list. Maybe some of them were more personal. I imagine a lot of them were more personal. I hope so. Um, But uh, maybe they are of the nature uh, such that they would require a miracle to fix them. Look Look at your list again. Look at your list again and think like, wow, this is like, it would take a miracle to fix that. How many how many would say that that's true? Go ahead and hold up your hands. All right, so that's kind of interesting, right? So uh, a degree of severity such that it would take a miracle to fix them. Here's what I want to remind you of today, suggest you, suggest you today. Not only would it take a miracle to fix some of these things that are on your complaint list, but your complaint list also is the context in which miracles will happen in your life. All right? The complaints don't need to go away uh, for the miracle to happen. Which sounds really logical when I say it like that. Um, but a lot of times, I think emotionally, we get hung up in this place where, well, life is just filled with complaints and frictions and meaningless static, Obviously, this is not a miraculous situation for me. Obviously, I'm not flowing well spiritually. You get kind of clouded. And the Christmas story is exactly not that. Right? It's a direct counter to that sort of thinking. Uh, because... Uh, Sometimes great miracles happen in the world and great miracles happen in our lives in such a way that they don't provide immediate solutions to much of anything. And yet they end up being definitive world changers. And our lives will always be a mix of meaningless things that are, or maybe uh, meaningful things that are dragging us down and miraculous things that are amplifying us and pulling us forward will always be a combination. Heaven in a brown paper bag, uh, one of my uh, slogans. So, uh, in that spirit, let me read from the Christmas story a really uh, famous segment of a famous passage. This is from Luke chapter 2. This is the one that often gets quoted at all of the uh, Christmas pageants with the little kids. They come out and read this. Uh, Luke 2, 1 through 7. And just think about all of the little aggravating things that are packed into this story. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken for the entire Roman world. Political bureaucracy. Everybody, oh. This was the first census that took place while Crinius was governor of Syria. So Luke dates it. And everyone went to his own town to register. So you had to take a trip right during the Christmas season too. Everybody, uh. uh. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house in the line of David. He had to register kind of Register where he graduated high school, um, which was a 90-mile trip. Uh, He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. We talked all about that last week. So he's traveling 90 miles on foot with a pregnant wife to register for his taxes. Now you're starting to feel it. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. To which Joseph responded, Of course. Of course it's now. That's exactly what he said. I happen to know. Uh, And she gave birth to her firstborn. (laughs) Yeah, I would hope so. A son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, wrapped him in, mag, in rags, and stuck him in an animal's food dish because there was no room for them in the inn. They couldn't find accommodations. How many aggravating things are in that story? It's just seven verses. How many? Yeah, name some of them. Traveling when you're, Traveling when you're nine months pregnant, not good. Not good. Politics. I can't hear you. Giving birth birth in a barn. How many? Just one. You were born in a barn. (laughs) (laughs) What else? Walking. Walking That's foot sore. Yeah. Taxes, politics, travel, and no room in the inn. You can't get reservations uh, because of bad political planning. Right? Everybody has to go to their hometown. Well, that's an incredible upheaval. Why do you do it that way? Because you tax through clans and stuff. It was uh, Roman political bureaucratic brilliance that was anything but uh, brilliant. Um, Luke, uh, who wrote this gospel, the gospel of Luke... Uh, was, uh, he, he wrote his gospel after the gospel of Mark was written, after the gospel of Matthew was written. Matthew was based on Mark, but Matthew amplified it a little bit. And then uh, some years later, Luke wrote his gospel. Now, Luke was unique among the gospel writers in that he had no direct experience of Jesus himself. But he was, uh, he was a, a scholarly Greek man. He wasn't Jewish. He was very well educated. And so he took it as a history project. Uh, he was going to get to the bottom of everything. He was going to write a robust history of the Christian movement uh, beginning with the, the birth of Jesus in such a way that, you know, Greek scholars all over the world uh, could read it and understand. It's really one of the first examples of journalistic eyewitness history in, in, in the history of the world. Uh, What he was doing was nothing short of revolutionary, even in terms of world literature. Uh, The fact that he did it in a way that was based around Jesus is just all that more helpful. So it was an incredible guy doing an incredible project. And so he wanted to go back and research. Uh, for all the world, what the birth of Jesus was like. These stories don't appear like this in the other gospels. Mark doesn't mention the the birth of Christ at all. Matthew mentions it, but in terms of fulfilled prophecies, Luke wants to actually do the event, right? He wants to get the facts straight. And for this, his source was almost certainly Mary, uh, Mary was living in uh, Ephesus probably at the time that Luke was doing his research. Uh, she hung out with John, the disciple, and John was a church father in Ephesus, which is in Turkey. Um, and so he probably went there and interviewed Mary, and, and I'm just wondering what that interview was like, what Mary was like. She was sort of this uneducated peasant girl who, like, you know, was responsible for all of this. Uh, I just... I just wondered what that would have been like, uh, that interview. Uh, And Luke, as you can see, sweats the details, right? His question to Mary was, what was it really like, though? I mean, we know about uh, the results. This is a movement that's taking over all the known world. We know about the grand 700-year-old, 1,000-year-old prophecies, and there were many of them that were filled in the birth of your son. That's epic, Right, we know the epic story. Mary, what was it like for you? And she was like, "Well, it was a ninety-mile journey on foot while nine months pregnant." Uh, you know, she she probably did not stress the angels to the shepherds. You know, she probably stressed her experience. I had to give birth in a barn. I didn't see that coming. My family wasn't even around me. You know, because. There was no place for us in the family homestead. We were just stuck out in the boondocks uh, in, in, in some random house who had a little room in their garage, which was essentially what it was. You would keep your animals downstairs in your garage, so to speak, and there would be uh, food troughs there, and that's where the baby was born. In other words, it was aggravating, it was... Physically sore, and it was humiliating. That's what it was like. Uh, Super, super frustrating. Uh, And all of these details we've come to love so much. Why were you there in the first place, Mary? Oh, it was about taxes. Oh, of course it was about taxes. You know, and we didn't have the money to do it properly, of course. There were healthcare hassles, there were travel hassles, there were accommodation hassles. Why do we cherish these details so much? Well, I think we cherish them in the story. We rehearse them in the telling of the Christmas story every year, precisely because uh, they're common, right? Precisely because they're not special. And so we relate because we don't feel like our lives are very special either. And the bulk of our lives are filled with these common details that in and of themselves are not meaningful. They're simply the context in which meaningful things happen. And that's an incredible distinction. You know, all of these meaningless, frustrating, aggravating things are precisely the context in which miracles happen. And it's as if Luke wanted to make that clear. There's the virgin birth. There's the angelic hosts in the sky. There are the fulfilled prophecies. And none of those things translated into world change overnight. And one of the lines we read in the Gospels is that Mary treasured these things in her heart, right? It would be 30 years before Jesus even started his public ministry, and that was up and down, <laughs> right? These great miracles changed nothing. In the meantime, life probably just went on as normal. Um, and this is a profound Christmas meditation. It's one of the, uh, the most central uh, Christmas meditations of, of all, most of life, <clears throat> is not epic. Most of life is not epic. And most of life is not even struggling against epic challenges. Most of life is these yahoos won't get out of the fast lane. Right? That's most of life. Most of life is, oh man, another year in which I'm sweating paying the bills. You know, when are we going to get ahead? Uh, Most of life is uh, you know, allergies ruining yet another afternoon that I wanted to spend with my kids in the park. Uh, that's most of life. And because it's most of life, it can convince you that there's nothing miraculous going on. You can miss the miraculous because it's just inundated with static, Right? And most of life is static. Life is largely about pushing through static. And I can tell you with a great confidence that the kingdom of God on earth is mostly about you pushing through your static. That's mostly about... That's, that's the vital skill for participating in the kingdom of heaven on earth. As in, you know... Oh, Life It's so frustrating, but Christmas happens anyway. Christmas is going to happen even though uh, we're short on money. Christmas is going to happen even though we don't have the right place to hold the celebration. Christmas is going to happen even though there are travel hassles. Christmas is going to happen even though, and it's going to be miraculous. How do I know it's going to be miraculous? Well, it always is miraculous. It's just a question of whether or not you accept it or miss it. No, I think your life is probably filled with chaos, and I think probably there is at least one miracle going on right in front of you. That's the kingdom of heaven on earth. That's what your life uh, is about. Uh, I, uh, I think that you've heard me say this before if you're a Blue Water veteran, that, that I sort of conceive of life, the kingdom of heaven on earth, as order versus chaos, right? The kingdom of heaven on earth is the order of heaven made manifest in the world. Uh, and Jesus showed up and he started bringing order to chaotic things when he encountered a, a sick person well sickness is out of order in heaven so he would cure the sick person when he encountered people who had no food well hunger is out of order in heaven so he did a miracle with loaves and fishes and he fed crowds of thousands where he encountered people that were oppressed by evil spirits well you can't be oppressed by evil spirits in heaven so he brought deliverance to them and cast out the demons and restored their lives and their sanities where people were ignorant of the love and the character of god well that would be out of order in heaven so when people when jesus found people who thought that god was all about you know oppression and religion then he restored them to sanity and taught them about the fatherly character of god the loving character of god and sort of Uh, fix their perspective. Jesus brought order against the the chaos of life, and your life is is mostly about pushing through chaos. And the thing about chaos is that it's rarely a frontal attack. I mean, later on in the story, Herod would murder hundreds of babies in an effort to kill the Messiah. Uh, But usually chaos does not confront you like that. Usually chaos just confronts you with, well, there are three ways, vagueness, delay, and distraction vagueness, delay and distraction. Vagueness is that force in the world that tries to get you to not think too hard about anything. Well, excuse me, tries to get you to not think too hard about anything that's important. Because there are always a lot of other things that you can think about. If you are, uh, you know, mature in life and you're still saying, well, I really don't know what I should be doing with my life. That's because you're trapped by vagueness. Life purpose is really quite easy to figure out. Uh, and, uh, well, we may, I don't know, do a sermon series on that in, in, in the new year. But um, if there are important decisions to be, make, to be made in life, a lot of us just don't think about them very hard for as long as we can. Are you one of those people that don't do anything unless the deadline is tomorrow? Right? You're probably trapped uh, by vagueness. And you might be trapped by the second force in the world, delay. Uh, chaos never says, quit on Jesus. Chaos only ever says, ah, let's do that tomorrow. You know, don't do it now. We'll we'll get around to it eventually. We'll get around to it eventually. Uh, And a lot of us are stuck in delay and procrastination. And, you know, we tend to put off that which is uh, uncomfortable because it requires us to push through static. Uh, And then, uh, you know, what distracts you? Well, tons of things distract you. A lot of your complaints are probably about... Uh, distracting things, thorns that can pull your flesh as you walk through life, and if nothing else, you know you've got uh, iPhones. I've watched some of you check messages even while I've been preaching, and and I know I know none of the none of the messages are nearly as important as what I'm saying right now. They're reading the Bible on their iPhones? Yeah, right. Yeah, sure. Anyway, that's how it works, Um, and mostly, well, I think most lives are determined more uh, by convenience versus inconvenience than they are determined by important versus unimportant, Uh, and, um, and there's something about the Christmas story that just flies right in the face of that and says, oh, yeah, Just so you know, the most important events ever can be missed. The most important events ever happened in the midst of swirling static. And so if you want to be a spiritual person, well then, one of the things you'll have to master, first and foremost, is the ability to find miracle in the midst of incredible static, incredible chaos. And we... Hear the Christmas story. We read the Christmas story every year, and it reminds us of that. It reifies it to us. It's like, that's life, man. Life is miracle in the midst of static, holiness in the midst of chaos, the kingdom of heaven on earth, heaven in a brown paper bag. And you, brothers and sisters, are called to be people who find the holy moment in the midst of all the complaints, all the chaos, all the static. And that is not just a truism. It's not just a mindless proverb. Oh, it is a profound truth. It is a profound truth because what's trying to kill you more than any other thing is not epic evil. What's trying to kill you is chaos, is daily static. That kills way more people than lordly evil ever does. It's just the spirit of, ugh, that's what wipes you out. Or the spirit of, eh, that's what wipes you out. Uh, And that's the battle that we face. The kingdom of heaven on earth happens in the midst of ordinary chaos and it's up to us to find the extraordinary in our daily lives and it's easy to miss because even God typically doesn't call it out for us. You know. He was so excited about the birth of Christ that he had to tip off someone so he picked the least reliable testifiers in the community. A bunch of shepherds who are out in the field. (laughs) Um, It's up to you Probably. Uh, to find the excitement, only a few ever catch what God is doing at any given moment. Even if god 's doing something in here uh, this morning, only a few of us will catch it. Thank God for that. And then, And then we respond. we respond. I' well, be one of the few. Uh, Christ was born in inconvenience. Christ reigns in inconvenience in the context of inconvenience. Christ is Lord. Inconvenience is not Lord. Can I hear an amen? amen. All right, so that's that. Let's end with another meditation. Uh, I call it a 3 two, one meditation. So this is what you're going to do. Uh, bring back your iPhones as if you ever put them away <laughs> or your tablets, whatever it is that you're writing with. Uh, and, and, uh, and just uh, get ready to reflect. Here's what I want you to reflect on. Uh, let's just start with a review of three things that you've been complaining about for over a year. Just think about those for a moment. Go through each one. Three things you've been complaining about for over a year. Think about how bad they've been, think about how much they've weighed on your spirit think about the number of days in which you've ranted about them what's the worst thing you've ever said about them three things mold them over for 8 seconds All right, now I want to add to them two things that are going to cause great static and inconvenience for you in the coming week. Two things that you just know are going to cause a lot of aggravation, static, inconvenience, and grumbling from you in the coming week. Go ahead and write those down. What is it about them that really bothers you. How does it make you feel? Those two things. How does your body respond when you think about those two things? That's three things that you've been complaining about for over uh, a year and two things that you're dreading about your upcoming week. Now, what's one important thing that you're overlooking right now? One important thing that you're missing that has kind of been on the edge of your awareness that has been covered over with vagueness or delay or distraction? What's one important thing that you need to actually see and seize? Let the Holy Spirit guide you if you're confused about it. What's one important thing, one holy thing that you need to get on? this week here's a miraculous blessing that I need to honor in some way One important thing that should take some life and breath that needs dignifying and strengthening. Does everybody have one important thing? Yeah? Well, this 3-2-1 meditation was really an exercise in juxtaposition. You know, as... Uh, the baby Christ was juxtaposed to the aggravating world around him, the world of political oppression and taxation and senseless bureaucracy and, and frustrating travel and physical limitation and, and poverty and animals in a food trough. Um, there are always going to be frustrating things going on in your life and here's the truth, they are the context in which the miraculous thing is going to happen in your life. And it is incumbent upon you to be aware of the miracle in the midst of the madness. Uh, And that is a tremendous uh, life skill. More than that, I would say that as you seize upon the thing, the important thing that God is calling you not to miss, but to in fact attend to, as you do that, you are reminded of who you are and who Christ is. You're reminded of what uh, you should be about uh, this week. It's the only way to do it. It's the only way to do it. You need to be mindful of your chaos, what stops you, and you need to be mindful of your miracle, uh, what calls you. Man, I think about that every Christmas. So, Heavenly Father, I thank you uh, for enlivening us in the midst of our static And I pray that in the midst of our static, Lord, you would be a clear signal. And I pray that in the midst of the world's static, we would be a clear signal to the world. Uh, Taking time uh, to note a baby in the hay wrapped in rags. the thing that God is doing in your life right now is powerful it may not seem that special welcome to Christmas it may not seem that special do not make the mistake of thinking that that means it's not powerful feel like the Holy Spirit just wants me to pause there. Uh, That phrase uh, triggered some things for some people. The most important, powerful, miraculous thing that God is doing in your life right now may not seem that special to you. Don't be fooled. I think he's just underscoring, illuminating, shining a light on some things that you didn't think were very special but are in fact heart of God's purpose in your life right now that's going to give him a minute to speak to you about that